All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's the last day before a holiday weekend, so what better way to celebrate them with a holiday theme, Golic acrostic, and of course, what would a good acrostic be without a poem? So here we go. Probably should have worn a Santa hat for this. G <laughs> is for gather round the tree and watch the AFC West. O as in come all ye faithful if Denver has any faith left. L is for last Christmas when a win led to Stroud as a gift. I, because it's the most wonderful time of the year for a playoff picture shift. C is for the Christmas collision between two of the league's best teams. So time to let two jolly Golics tell us what it all means. There we go. Uh, What a way to waltz into the holidays here. Jesse, I'm glad you stuck with the tried and true poetry hat that we've established on the show here. It wouldn't hit the same with the Christmas hats here. We'll save those. We have a little holiday special coming up for everybody this next week. So you'll see plenty of Santa hats in there as well. But uh, well delivered. And you're right. I mean, I'm chomping at the bit to get to the last one there because we've got like a Super Bowl preview game. God love the poor NBA. You've worked so hard oh. to make Christmas Day your thing, and now you're going to get Ravens and 49ers on that day, and it's just not going to matter. It's not their all. day. It's not no, their no, day. It's not no. their day. But we will get to that. And instead, we will start off, uh, Dad, 
with Chiefs Raiders here, and ask, I think, a pretty interesting question as we look into the rest of this season. Because obviously the Kansas City Chiefs, it hasn't been the same kind of season we normally expect from them. Lots of questions about the wide receiver room, even the defensive standard maybe lately slipping up a little bit. But as they get set for a division game against the Las Vegas Raiders on Christmas Day, they're still the class of that division and kind of the standard bearer for that conference. But I'm wondering, Dad, as we look at the Baltimore Ravens, who are currently the team atop the AFC, are the Chiefs the worst, worst matchup for them in the postseason right now? Or do you think there's someone, based on what you've seen from this year, that would actually be a tougher out for the Baltimore Ravens at this juncture, even if they're not within the current playoff structure to allow for the Bills? No, I, I, th I think it is Baltimore and Kansas City, because I think Baltimore's defense, this Kansas City offense is not what we, you know, have seen. You know, we, we've seen more high power out of them. Now, getting Pacheco back is going to be huge for them. I love the way that guy runs. But I think Baltimore's defense is, is the difference. I, I, I think these are the two best teams. And I, I think today, I think I'd probably take Baltimore. Lamar Jackson's healthy. He's got more receivers to throw to. And the defense is just stifling. And the Kansas City defense has slipped back a little bit. They were a little more dominant earlier in the year. They're not what they were. Now, that doesn't mean they can't regain that a little bit. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm a buyer into the, the overall consistency of the Baltimore Ravens on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the Ravens have, in the last few weeks especially, really looked like they've separated a bit. But I do wonder, especially with Buffalo involved in their dad, if you think given the way that they've played recently, because I think the one thing we've looked at in the last couple of weeks is we're trying to figure out what you could potentially do, especially against that Ravens defense. The Rams were the ones that sort of opened the door to, all right, downhill running attack, especially on early downs there to try and make sure you stay ahead of the chains against the defense that wants to do galaxy brain stuff with you. The way the Buffalo Bills have been running the football could certainly be a big factor in that. We saw the way they were able to put that Dallas defense on their heels in a similar fashion I still ultimately lean Chiefs twofold one because of the Patrick Mahomes of it all the most consistent force of nature the fact that now their offense at the very least has the thing we've been asking for all season long which is a complete number two threat outside of Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice yeah. and what he's become for them there and a healthy Isaiah Pacheco in the backfield coming back this week according to Andy Reid but also on the other side what Steve Spagnola has done consistently as a defensive coach in the NFL in the postseason, creating these wonderful bespoke game plans for opponents, where we've seen at times in the postseason, the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson have run into teams that have gone to extreme lengths, like the Chargers years ago and in the past, right. to try and stymie that offense especially. So I look at what the Chiefs can do with a downhill rushing attack when Pacheco's healthy, but also what their defensive coordinator's been able to do to a multitude of opponents over a long career in trying to slow down a really incredible rushing attack for the Ravens as well. It's really interesting when you, when you think about Kansas City and, and Baltimore, you immediately talk about the quarterbacks. But what, what a defensive matchup it would be, right? Now, I said Kansas City hadn't been dominant like they were. They're still a top-five defense. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're still a really good defense. So I, I just think of what a great defensive game that has the potential 
of being because you're so used to those offenses and those two quarterbacks having such success on the field and how those defenses would try and stop that. Speaking of the quarterbacks, Dad, I have a feeling we would weight the Kansas City Chiefs even more heavily because Patrick Mahomes went right at your heartstrings. Did you see oh. what he got his offensive line the other day? A whole bunch of golf carts out here for the Chiefs O-linemen in a great gift, a great video that the Chiefs put out showing all this off too. Uh, the guys honking their horns, whipping it around the parking lot there. Dad, your prized possession in your life, your golf cart in South Bend, looks like it might need an upgrade based on what these guys were toting around. Oh, listen, I need an upgrade because I have grandkids now. I have two of them, so I got to go to a six-seater. I do have to get a new one. My question is, though, where are all the guys going to use it? Because now at Notre Dame, where my, the, the house is, the golf cart is great because, I mean, I'm, I'm a one block away from campus. The place in Arizona, I would have no need for a golf cart. So I don't know where all these guys live and where the use of that golf cart, because they're great. They're red. They have their name and number on the side of them. Where, so do all of them need them, or can they use them in the neighborhoods they're in? That's my question. Yeah, different for different stages in life. I'm assuming some of these guys, some of the older players that have been around there, even though it's a particularly young group amongst the starters, like Joe Tooney, those guys probably live in the burbs, probably got enough space to do that. If you're a young guy and maybe you're living closer to where the practice facility, the stadium is, and you're in an apartment, that could be a little more difficult, but they're all making enough money to figure those problems out, and I trust them to do so because golf carts are cool as hell. So congratulations yeah. to those boys. And Mahomes, for doing right. We are in quarterback gift season, and it is fine to shame some of these guys if they go cheap and try and just give their O-linemen Apple TVs. Um, Let's go to Oded. Uh, come all ye faithful. You got any faith left in the Broncos? I'm curious for your perspective, Dad, because you saw the game where the air got let out of the balloon against the Detroit yeah. Lions yeah. last week, and now they get set to take on the Patriots on Christmas Eve in a game where I know one thing and one thing only is the under seems to be the play. 34 points set as the over-under on DK Sportsbook right now, and this seems like a real stoppable force meets movable object game in this one with the Broncos' offense especially going up against this Patriots defense I mean I I was surprised in calling that Denver Detroit game in Detroit last week of how Detroit just just handle them especially the way Denver had been playing why I probably don't have faith that Denver uh, is going to get it done or get to the place. But I think their city going into the weekend, they were in the 11th slot at 7-7. Seven and seven. They have a losing record in the conference when you start looking at tiebreakers uh, for the wild card. Mike, the biggest thing to me is I don't trust their rush defense. While the defense had been playing better, they're still getting run on. When you get run on, you get tired, you get worn out, and you get the other team controlling the ball and controlling the clock. And that's a horrible, horrible recipe. So that that's part of the, the equation, I think, that really holds them back, which kind of stops me from saying, yeah, I still think they got a shot at this. Yeah, now the tough part for this, and you're right, going forward, I, I think faith in the Broncos is going to be pretty fleeting for those reasons. An incredibly turnover-dependent team. First in the NFL with yeah. 13 fumble recoveries on the season. We talk that's about amazing. it all the time. That kind of fumble look. And that's on the other side, Dad. They're a team that's, I think, in the top five or at least the top six in turnover margin overall. And that's the fact that they've lost 11 fumbles on the other side. Like, they've not been particularly great there. But you look at a team like the Patriots, especially defensively, what that means for a team, right? Because the Broncos are 30th in rushing success rate on the season. Right, so right. they've been incredibly dependent on that. 
The Patriots defense has just five fumble recoveries all year long, yet they are the number one rush defense in football by a number of different metrics. So they haven't needed anybody's help when it's come to that. Now, as a passing defense, they've got some struggles. And so if you're Russell Wilson and Corton Sutlin or Jerry Judy in this game, it's going to have to be on you. And we've seen Sutton and Judy put up pretty good numbers in that game prior, both I think over 70 yards in that outing, but it's going to be much more on their shoulders than I think this Broncos team really wants it to be in any game plan for them. Yeah, I, I agree. It was, it was a heck of a run. It was a surprising run, but you know, Sean Payton was getting out of his team what he, what he thought he could get out of his team, but it's a long season with ebbs and flows and they were down early and then obviously came up, but I, I don't think have enough to get where they want to be. So let, let's see what Sean can build going in, going into next year and in the future. Great coaching matchup, Sean Payton, uh, Bill Belichick, obviously yeah. two all-time greats there. This Patriots defense, by the way, on the cusp of something pretty incredible as a rush defense. They're allowing 3.2 yards per carry on the season, which would be the best in the NFL since the 2014 Detroit Lions if it held for the entirety of the season. So we'll see if they can keep that up. But I think you and I both uh, out on the top-end playoff yep. chances of the Denver Broncos going forward. All right, let's take a look at L, last Christmas. Last Christmas weekend, the Houston Texans beat the Tennessee Titans, just their second win of the season, that set up a scenario where they won on the last day of the year and fell out of the number one pick slot. Remember the will they, won't they between them and the Chicago Bears that ultimately led them to the loving arms of C.J. Stroud and obviously completely changed their fortunes again. Now, Unfortunately, C.J. Stroud looks like he won't be on the field for this game here. Another Case Keenum start because of the concussion protocol around C.J. Stroud. So, Dad, do we think that the Houston Texans and the rest of this roster has enough to keep them afloat in this game? Um, I, I, I think the Browns, especially that defense led by Miles Garrett, is going to be too good. So I don't see it. While, you know, Tank Dell obviously done for the year. Nico Collins questionable. He had that injury. I thought he'd be gone maybe a little longer, but CJ Stroud out. So I think the long season and attrition has caught up to them a little bit here. They're, they are a great story for this year. You know, teams that get the second pick of the draft as bad as they were are not supposed to be flirting, you know, with the playoffs. And, you know, it's more the exception than the rule. But, but I do think as the season goes out, it's kind of wearing on them. And for Cleveland, they've gotten a boost from, you know, an older quarterback who just sits in the pocket and slings the ball around and can can manage and move this offense and still rely on the defense. We know how, how defense can win games, especially when the weather starts to get bad outside, especially when you get closer to the playoffs. How good is that defense keeping you in game? So, I, I think it's leaning more toward that scale falling down on Houston a little bit. I think Cleveland takes care of business in this one. I agree. We got more of the full Joe Flacco experience in this last game. Three interceptions to go along with the great plays and touchdowns at the end. It's probably going to skew closer to that on the way out. This was a guy that was not in professional football for the majority of this season. But I think you combine that with the fact that I referenced this stat the other day. I wanted to go pull it to make 100% sure. You talk about how good that Browns defense is. Nate Tice over at The Athletic pulled this uh, stat from True Media. Since the year 2000, the top 20 defenses in defensive success rate through this point in the season, the Browns are currently, since 2000, number one in the since that in that time in defense 
defensive success rate, uh, and if that holds for the last three games of the season, would finish at that spot. So they have been one of the best defenses of this millennium right. so far, and that's why they have been able to do what they've done there. Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa had a monster oh. game this last week yeah. in addition to what Miles Garrett's done. He's been a really exciting player to watch, so I'm with you. I would lean in favor of them against uh, Texans offense that we've seen really since the Tank Dell injury starting to slip from that yep. standard yep. a little bit there. The Browns, give them credit. Offensive line's been a mash unit, lost your best running back on Joe Flacco as a quarterback, and they've been able to offset enough to keep this thing moving in the right direction. Dan, let's get to I. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We've got three 7-7 seven and seven teams. The Rams and the Saints played Thursday, so obviously that changes a little bit. And two 6-8 right. and eight teams battling for three playoff spots in the NFC. You and I both, I think at this point, at least I think, I've been beating the Rams' playoff drum for a while. I'm assuming after seeing them in person last night, you were on them as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think some of the things I'm seeing, and I did see it last week in Detroit and talked about it during the game, is the array of offensive firepower. That's usually been reserved in, for just talking about San Francisco with the number of weapons that you can go to. But Detroit has it. Uh, with the two-headed backfield, Jamison Williams coming on at wide receiver to go with St. Brown and Laporta, who's been, you know, all world as a rookie tight end. And then last night with Kyron Williams and Puka, and you throw in Tyler Higby and Cooper Cup, you know, what Demarcus Robinson did, the array of talent you have, you know, again, the depth and depth of talent on offense can help keep a defense at bay. We always talk about is the defense on their toes or are they on their heels? And when you got the different, when you can't just zone in on one guy, you know, you, you bracket one guy and the other guy's running free, you know, so you have other options to go to. And that's what the Rams have. Detroit has that as well. So it's pretty interesting. I've seen now two weeks in a row, two offenses showing to real with their talent but without question it's the Rams and any team that the Rams is going to play in the playoffs may get that look like you saw from the Michigan players when they saw Alabama was at number four <laughs> yeah they're uh, they're fully loaded right now I, I absolutely expect them to give somebody a froggy out I saw this posed uh, by one of the guys over on McAfee's show dad and I asked you during one of the breaks if you had to pick them right now you saw both of these teams in the last two weeks the Rams facing off against the Lions, and we know all of the connective tissue between those teams, between Goff, Stafford, and every which way. Which way would you lean right now wow. based on what you've seen? You got probably the best punch of both teams in the last two weeks. I mean, you really have. I mean, Goff had been questionable this year with his play. Stafford had been nicked up, but Goff has a monster game last week. I, I guess end of day, Mike, I probably trust Stafford the way he's playing now more, even though golf had a monster game last week. He's been a little more inconsistent at times this year. So I would probably have more faith in Stafford. They both have big rush guys, obviously Aaron Donald, Naden Hutchinson on the other side of what they can do. But as I mentioned, younger players on that defense as well for the Rams. There's part of me that would probably, and, and it, it's tough to even say recency bias because I just saw Detroit last week. It's not like I, I, I did them six months ago. So I think I would lean toward L.A. and the stride they're hitting right now.
I would agree. I, I, I would absolutely think that's how hot LA has been lately. One other team I think is interesting to throw into the mix as we talk about them. We just saw them get a win against the Eagles. The Seattle Seahawks, when you look at who they've lost to this season, I understand they're sitting at this record right now. Their losses most recently to the Ravens, the Rams to, by one point, the 49ers twice, and then the Cowboys in a one-score game. That's been a murderer's row of a schedule in the back half of the season. And while they haven't come out on the winning side of it, Dad, we've seen even with Drew Locke in there, they've played some pretty yeah. compelling football. So the Seahawks, also a team that can feel froggy and potentially jump. But let's get to the golden goose of the weekend. Monday night, Christmas Day. Jesse, we've got the disrespect card on the table heading into Ravens 49ers. Yeah, so Baltimore comes into the game as five-and-a-half-point underdogs, and they were asked about how they felt about that underdog status leading into this one. I think internally we don't feel that way. Um, externally, I don't know what it is, whether it's – I don't know what it is, but whether it's the lack of primetime games we've got or whatever, but I think um, – the 11 and threes are not created equal right now um, in terms of the 49ers versus us. And um, we feel a little disrespected by that. Uh, I feel like we are the best team in the league and uh, we've got an opportunity in front of the country to show it. I like being the underdog, you know. Um, I don't know, I, like, we, I believe we play better when we're doubted and we're not, you know, people not choosing us to win the game. I feel like we play better all the time. So just do it all the way to February. <laughs> Yeah, so I like I like the attitude from them. I appreciate the confidence. Dad, I'd still pick the Niners to win outright in this game, but I would love the Ravens and the points. I'm fascinated because the offense for the 49ers and the defense for the Ravens are like a oh. mirror of one another. They're the perfect I, inverse. A ton of really compelling superstar pieces inside innovative schemes that have players that can really do a lot of different things and give opposing units fits. So I'm fascinated to watch that chess match between Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDonald, the D coordinator for the Ravens. Watching the aggressiveness of this Baltimore defense is is so as a former defensive player is so much fun to watch. I am so interested. Kyle Hamilton has elevated himself to one of the better safeties in the league. And remember, this guy is 6'6", six, six, so what, like 215. He's a monster that can play back, play linebacker depth, play on the line of how versatile he'll be in this game especially against a run with Christian McCaffrey and then in coverage as well or if he's a blitzer we see him you know block a ball pick it and go and, and take it the other way so he is such a key for this defense At the end of the day Mike I, I just we just talked about offenses with multiple talent and you start with San Francisco and I, I they just I, I feel have too much I think they just have too much. Now, San Francisco's defense has to contain, obviously, Lamar Jackson, but I go with that depth of that offense for San Francisco, and I have to lean that way. Yeah, two MVP candidate quarterbacks in Brock Purdy and Lamar Jackson that do it in entirely different ways. Ravens' number one rushing attack. We've seen the Niners can get run on. Lamar Jackson is a part of that. I think can stretch Chase Young, stress Nick Bosa, but at the end of the day, I just think the 49ers are in a class of their own right now atop the NFL. Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? 
You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there and you get to that little clubhouse there and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Florida State called a special board of trustees meeting for this morning. And while no formal reason was posted for the emergency meeting, multiple <laughs> reports indicate that FSU's athletic future in the ACC is going to be discussed. And the guys are standing by with one of the people who's in the trenches with this situation to get the rundown on exactly what is going down in this meeting. Fellas, take it away. Yes, very excited to be joined by Nicole Arbach, senior writer over at The Athletic covering college football, also the college football insider for NBC. And Nicole, you've been on this every step of the way as Florida State gets set to shake the bedrock of college football once more. So thanks for giving us some time today. And I guess, Nicole, just as a starting point, how did we get here so quickly with Florida State now looking to make a major shakeup in college football? Yeah, well, it, it did feel like it take a while and then that it also moved very quickly because, you know, they have been saber rattling here now for almost a year. We first started to see that private frustration spill over publicly back in February at a board of trustees meeting. Then in the spring at ACC meetings, we learned about hey, there's these seven schools that have been talking to each other and they're all looking at and examining this grant of rights document and trying to see what their exit options are. Um, and then, you know, obviously in August, there was that fiery board meeting where you had trustees and the school president admitting that they might need to leave the ACC and you had board of trustees members saying, hey, we need to have an exit plan by next August. And so from August to now, we've been focused on football. We've been dealing with the actual on-field product. Um, but obviously, these were still, you know, conversations and things that were happening. And, you know, I was talking to folks and, and sources told me earlier in the week that the CFP snub, obviously, it wasn't directly related to Florida State being in the ACC, but it reinvigorated a lot of these conversations and it accelerated the timeline on potential action. And then, as you mentioned, today is the day the Board of Trustees will be meeting shortly they put out their, their public agenda. It says legal matters related to the Department of Intercollegiate Athletics. I think we all know what that means. So today could be the first real concrete step towards doing something that they've talked about that we know Florida State has wanted to do. And a lot of other ACC schools may want to do too, which is challenge the grant of rights and see if they can get out of the ACC. So, so 
Nicole, can you explain that a little further with the grant of rights and how to get out of that and kind of keep it simple for me so I can understand <laughs> it, let alone other people around the country who keep hearing the term grant of rights and then kind of glaze over? Yes. Okay. So the best way to think about this is it is a legally binding document that is signed the length of the media rights deal. And it essentially like you're attached to all of the other schools in your conference and it's your publicity, right? So it's your rights to broadcast home games. Um, and it's essentially like the visibility of what you're doing. So essentially like Florida state could pay an exit fee and leave the ACC. But if they, if they can't get out of the grant of rights and the ACC owns all of Florida state's home games and all of these sports, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And we also don't know at this point what the dollar figure would be to buy your rights back. And that's, I think, part of this. If they do challenge the grant of rights to get some legal clarity here is like, hey, is there a dollar figure? Is this legal? Is this enforceable? Or are there other options for us to get out of this without paying some exorbitant amount of money? So that's really what we're going to get more clarity on. But it's essentially a legally binding document that ties Florida State to all the other ACC schools and all of their rights to all of their home games until 2036. Nicole, we've seen a lot of other conference realignment go on in recent years. Obviously, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, UCLA have spurned on so much. Is there any precedent for what Florida State's about to go through now, or are they about to set it? Um, good question, because I wanted to say that they'll set it, but we also have been dealing with a number of lawsuits recently of members suing their own conference. Like we just saw this with the Pac-12 and Oregon State and Washington State and Michigan was threatening to sue the Big Ten over Jim Harbaugh suspension. So like that part is not unprecedented, but this idea is, and it also just feels like a point of no return, right? Like we've had, we've heard FSU complain about the ACC and about the revenue gap with the Big Ten and SEC now for almost a year. But actually taking legal action to start the process to extract yourself from your conference that you've been in since 1991, that is a different level. And I think what's important when you think about the precedent, Mike, is if this is successful or if they figure out a way out before 2036, I mean, what about Clemson? What about UNC? What about these other schools that we know would also possibly want to get out and see what their options could be. So that's where this could be just the first of other dominoes. And that would set off a massive round of realignment because right now, to date, those schools in the ACC have not been available. They have not been targets for the Big Ten and the SEC because of these legal documents. To that point, and it's Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech, North Carolina State have talked about this as well. For lack of a better term, if Florida State goes forward with this, could the other schools jump in and make it for like a class action suit? Would they all jump on the backs of Florida State or would they each have to do it individually? So I am not a lawyer, although I feel like I should get like an honorary degree having <laughs> covered so many different lawsuits in college sports this last couple of years. Um, but my instinct would be based on conversations I've had would be that they would have to do things separately because you don't want to collude. You don't want to have mm. action that is premeditated and collusion. So I would think that obviously you, you're watching, and this is, this is why it's so fascinating, this board meeting is gonna be streamed publicly because of the state laws in Florida, sunshine laws, but there's a lot of other interested parties in the ACC because 
if the path that Florida State eventually takes is successful, well, then you've got to think that Clemson or some of these other schools could challenge on similar similar grounds or a similar process, maybe even a similar lawsuit and language. Um, and that would, again, that would be the big snowball. That would be, as you mentioned, like Oklahoma, Texas to, to the SEC. Like, it would be a seismic move in college sports because these schools have been operating under the assumption, the ACC, the rest of the industry has been operating under the assumption that they were not available until 2036, which feels like forever from now. And it, and that's how it feels to Florida State. So they are going to try to figure out if they can get out before that and what it would cost to do so. So that's what's really interesting, because it, it certainly other schools could follow. But it, it always felt like Florida State was going to be the one who was willing to go first, willing to take all the arrows and deal with this and see if it can work. Nicole, about a minute left here. If this goes through and Florida State does essentially declare war on the ACC today, is this the beginning of the end of the conference? Do you see them going the way of the Pac-12, or is there a way Jim Phillips and company can salvage this a la the Big 12? That's a good question, and I think, you know, you look back at what happened with Cal, Stanford, and SMU, and a way that I was thinking about it at the time was a preemptive backfilling mm. in case you do lose members down the road. It keeps you at a certain minimum that maybe fulfills the contract with ESPN about the size of your contract, your, um, your, your uh, league. But also what we saw with the PAC 12 was like they were losing members and not replacing them. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and you only have four members and it's just not feasible. And, and the schools are fleeing and trying to figure out where to go because they don't think they can rebuild. So I think the idea of strength in numbers is important. But yes, if you lose one of your most valuable brands and other ones could potentially be out the door as well, that is also a totally different world. But, you know, this is all interconnected and I, it's fascinating. It's going to be a fascinating couple months here. It's going to be a fascinating couple months that starts with a, see, a meeting getting going in just a few minutes. Follow her on Twitter at Nicole Arbach to get all of the latest news and notes on this situation and the rest of what's going on around college football. Nicole, thanks so much on a busy day, bud. We really appreciate you. All right. Thanks for having me. So, again, that meeting is going to get yeah. started at 10 a.m., and if you're not following Nicole Arbach to make sure you get all of the important nuggets that come out of that meeting in case you don't want to live stream essentially a court hearing and a board of trustees meeting, you're making a big mistake. Uh, it's going to be interesting where this meeting goes, but then, Mike, the entire process. We know how things can drag out of how long this process, if it goes forward, would actually take where we'd see some meaningful change. Uh, again, I don't doubt the timeline being sped up for any of this anymore. Based on what we've seen, there was a time nearly two years ago where I would have said this stuff would have taken about a decade. Now I look at this and say we could be mere minutes away from the kind of chaos that we've become accustomed to in college football. Strap in, everybody. Let's get ready. <laughs> The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. It is time for this week's Chunky Spicy Picks presented by Campbell's Chunky Soup that eats like a meal. Head to DraftKings.com slash Chunky to play in this Sunday's free-to-play prediction pool for your shot at a bite of 5K in prizes. All right, fellas, let's make those chunky, spicy picks. Where are we going? Yeah, my tortured relationship with spicy picks continues, although I did hit that Cortland Sutton over last week in the Broncos game, so felt pretty good about that one. It's been a week-to-week exercise in trying to figure out the vibes on this thing, but we love soup that eats like a meal. We love spicy mm. soup, and we love spicy picks. So, Dad, I'll, uh, I'll let you start this off here. Who's the player that you have circled for the spicy pick of the week? Well, it's a guy we just talked about a little bit ago in the biggest game of the weekend, the last one on Christmas. Again, that's going to make NBA fans bummed when most people are watching the NFL and they're going to be watching the San Francisco Baltimore game. I'm going with Kyle Hamilton. What what he has been able to do and progress to remember his rookie rookie year, they kind of was move, moving his position a little bit. They weren't sure of how how they were going to play him. And he's turned into one of the top safeties now in the league. He's third on the on Baltimore. This team, this is a defense that's second in the NFL. They're an unbelievably great defense. He's third on the team in tackles. He has three sacks. He has 10 tackles for loss. He has 10 passes defense. He has two interceptions. One of those went for a touchdown, and he has a forced fumble. So to see what he's going to be able to do in this game, as I talked about a little earlier, whether it's on the line, putting pressure, trying to put pressure on Brock Purdy, playing the run to, to keep Christian McCaffrey at bay from running the ball, or in coverage on who he's going to cover from tight ends to running backs on where he's going to go on this defense. While there, there are, listen, obviously great players on this defense. You don't get to be the second best and be- or best defense by not having some great players. Roquan Smith, their leading tackler, we know what he does. But Kyle Hamilton is so versatile. He is what that safety position has become of guys who could play deep, play mid, play on the line. Uh, that's what that position has to be, and he's doing it incredibly well right now. So I think if they're, if Baltimore is going to win this game, his versatility has to show, and just like his stat line showed of all the different things that he can do, he's going to have to do a little bit of that on the line, right off the ball, or in the secondary. I actually think, and I said these that offense for San Francisco and the defense for the uh, Baltimore Ravens are mirrors of each other because of Kyle Hamilton and George Kittle. Like, them, to me, represent the same idea. I think you are able to dictate terms on your side of the ball by having the most options. And that's why San Francisco has traditionally been so difficult to spot. Because you do have guys like Debo, like Christian, like George, who can do so many things, especially in the middle of a defense. You've got to account on every play. You know this, Dad. When you're a defensive player going up to watch an offense in the beginning of a play, you know based on formation, based on personnel, and based on alignment, they got a menu of things that they kind of like to do. There are certain plays that they want to run out of this, certain things I can expect as a defensive player. 
That menu becomes the Cheesecake Factory when you've got the guys that the San Francisco 49ers do. And with all the motion they use there, they're doing things that are actively trying to slow you down. That's what Baltimore's defense does. All the things they do with how they pressure, where they move personnel, how they walk Kyle Hamilton all over the place is designed to make the offense do the exact same thing. We've talked about it with their pressure packages time and time again throughout the year. And so that's why I think it's fascinating. Who's going to be able to dictate the terms in this game? The Rams did a little more against this Ravens defense than we're accustomed to seeing with to uh, accustomed to seeing with them. And so I'm fascinated to see who's able to take the bull by the horns because their side of the ball has enough options to make the other side really sweat. It is always interesting with all the motion. And in the game I did last night, the Rams, which is a high motion team, they're motioning more this year than any other year in the Sean McVay era. Cooper Cup, his his step count alone before a play even starts with his motion is unbelievable. When you're a defense, you're right, Mike. With all the, the formations and motions, you get your game plan and everything is broken down. You know, there were analytics before this era of analytics of what you saw, formation down a distance, what plays they normally run. And the, the one basic thing, though, you have to always understand as a defensive player is believe what you see. Believe your eyes. You know, you're watching things on tape. Believe it. OK, now, every now and then they try some kind of trickeration. But believe what you see. Believe the film that you're watching it. And because all that motion, you're trying to confuse. You're trying to get guys, uh, you know, not be able to get manhandled at the line of scrimmage. There's a variety of reasons for the motion. But as a defense, you have to settle in. Know what you're supposed to do. Know your responsibility with motion, what you're doing, whether it's man, whether it's zone, how you have to play it, and just believe what you see. But that said, uh, the motion, you know, some of the top teams are the ones that motion a lot. You mentioned the Rams team uh, on offense last night, uh, according to, I believe, uh, next-gen stats, featured pre-snap movement on 90% of their plays, which would have been the third highest rate in an NFL game this season. And uh, you're right about the Niners. One thing they've done with personnel, too, is they've been able to really get at base defenses on the other side, which is going back to your pick, why Kyle Hamilton is so important, because he can kind of be what breaks the wheel when it comes to that, where normally you'd be getting a slower linebacker body on the field because you need someone big enough to handle what the other team is going to do in the box. Kyle's got enough of that for you, and so he makes this a very, very interesting proposition. For my spicy pick, Dad, kind of similar vein. It's been fascinating to watch the discourse this week around the Dallas Cowboys, and one player in particular coming off of last week's game in Buffalo, not Dak Prescott on the offense, but Micah Parsons is my pick for spicy player of the week on defense. Getting ready to go up against this Miami Dolphins offense that we know is such a juggernaut that we've seen at times undone by pressure in the right places up front, especially with a beat-up and shuffled offensive line for Miami. I've been fascinated watching people, Dad. Micah Parsons made the switch to be more primarily an edge guy this season in how he was used. And I saw even he was addressing on Twitter the other day a growing number of people in the Cowboys who want to move him back to off-ball because of some of the issues they've had against the run there. Dad, I I completely disagree with those people, as did Micah Parsons, who understands that he is still one of the most dangerous players in the NFL in terms of the pressure he applies on opposing offenses and what his effect does for the other guys on his defensive line being in that spot of the edge as opposed to off-the-ball in a little bit more no-man's land. 
Yeah, the, the only thing I'll say, Mike, I mean, when you get him off ball to, to mix it up, I love him off the edge as well, but then you know where he is, you know, you know, you know, like just like with Aaron Donald, when Aaron Donald lines up, you pretty much know which way you're going to slide. You're going to get help there when he's on the edge. You can slide that way. I kind of like when he's off ball and rushes as well, because he can use that into stunts, uh, rush straight or stunt. So I would be one of those that would like to see a mixture of his versatility of either on edge or off ball as well. I, I think off ball is different than in the middle. Like we've seen guys like Miles yeah, yeah. Garrett and him line up over centers, but even yeah. he pointed out if people watch film, they take shots and pass more when I'm off the ball or out of the game. We know so many offenses come to the line of scrimmage and you got two or three plays in the arsenal and you're looking for a couple of keys in there. And if you see, hey, I don't have to worry about Micah Parsons on this play rushing the passer or at least being as directly threatening up near the line of scrimmage, now all of a sudden this is our opportunity to take a shot because our offensive line's breathing a sigh of relief. Every snap that Micah Parsons is not going towards the quarterback is a win for the other side of the football because that's the best pitch the Dallas defense has to offer. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. I, I, I do. But it, there's also the part of me that says he's your best pass rusher. If the weakest link of an O-line is a guard, I want to get him on there. And I know you can do that with a stunt. I know you can do that with a with a tackle end stunt. Yeah. I get it. You, no, you and I are talking about the same thing. I'm meaning like true off-ball stuff. That's oh, what people no, are no, talking no. about. Like no. They want him lining oh. up in the box at linebacker like that, no. which to me is ridiculous, was probably always more of a pipe dream because when you watched him even coming out of college, his best reps were going downhill at the quarterback. All right, then we're in agreement. Yeah, I, I put him off-ball but rushing. Move him around, get him standing up, rushing a guard if you can get him in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Rushing the quarterback, not always just from the edge position. So you're right. We're, we're saying the same thing. Exactly. And especially with this Miami Dolphins outfit, I think the last place that you would want him is off the ball where another no, team makes right. use of so much of the pre-snap motion, is going to try and do so much to get guys open in the middle of the field, has all that team speed. I want him with the most direct path. If you looked at any time the Dolphins have slipped up this season, it's when you're able to get quick, easy pressure on Tua Tungabailoa, and based on some of the personnel changes that have gone on along this Miami offensive line throughout the year, I want 11 going towards the quarterback on, like you said, the best matchup, wherever it is across the board, because when you can make Tua uncomfortable, you got a chance to throw a pebble up in what's been a Ferrari engine for the Dolphins offense on every other outing for most of this season. time to finish this off the way we always do and send you into a little holiday break here we're going to get a lot of best of material for you guys next week we got a great christmas special lined up and i have always always wanted to be a part of a christmas special okay. so we got real holly and real jolly around these parts mm -hmm. with some stuff that you guys are going to love so keep an eye out for that next week as we're going to take a little holiday rest and recovery on this side but we got plenty to send you off right into this one here uh three quick stories to send you off into this holiday break uh, as always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating. Check us out live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, the YouTube channel, Samsung TV Plus, and more. And if you miss any of us live, make sure you check out us wherever you get your podcasts so you can hear great guests like Nicole Arbach, senior writer uh, over at The Athletic and college football insider for NBC, who came by to get us ready for what's going on with Florida State that could once again mix up the whole college football bag. You can also catch that right here on YouTube as soon as we're done with the show at 10 Eastern. 
Easter. We will get to the egg challenge that is breaking the internet and forcing men back into a position of saying dumb things online. It's me. <laughs> I am men. After this word from Wrangler, because we're brought to you by Wrangler folks, jeans, shirts, and jackets made for the ride of life, so you can be ready for cooler days and longer nights in styles that keep you warm, keep you comfy, moving and looking great no matter where you are. You can wear Wrangler jeans literally anywhere, at work, out at night, playing a pickup game with friends, or at home, watching the game on TV. They're that comfortable. They're that durable. And there's a Wrangler shirt for every occasion, casualties, snaps and button-ups, or layer them together for a little bit of both. And don't forget the iconic Wrangler jackets. Uh, when the weather starts to chill and you need to venture out, Wrangler will keep you ready for anything. So add some Wrangler to your getup with jean shirts and jackets that look great, fit great, and move great, so you're always ready for whatever life throws at you. Save 15% on your first Wrangler.com order when you use promo code GOJO15. Wrangler for the ride of life. Now, yesterday on the internet, the ride of life took us to an interesting place. Saw a woman going viral on TikTok, and it made its way over to Twitter saying that she had dated a man during this last year that was part of a fantasy football league. And the loser of that fantasy football league every year had to do one particular task. Eat an egg for every year of your age inside of 24 hours. And the person she was dating lived in fear of this challenge, the amount of eggs he would have to consume in 24 hours. But as she notes here, once she introduced this to the rest of the male population in her life, that's where things got interesting. I told several of my male friends about this. I told my fantasy football league about this. And I said, oh my God, isn't this like the most upsetting thing you've ever heard? Can you imagine having to eat 30 eggs in one day? And the number of men who were like, that would be easy. It would be easy to eat 10 three egg omelets in a day. So I started asking like every man I know, men in their 40s were saying this. That'd be easy, it's fine. I am almost scared to post this because of the number of men that I know I'm going to have in my comments being like, that would be easy. If you and your boyfriend are on the rocks and you are trying to give yourself that final push, I implore you to go ask him how many eggs he thinks he could consume in one waking day because you are going to be horrified. She's not wrong. She's not wrong because my oh. first reaction in boy math was I could absolutely smoke 34 eggs in a day. I love how she also low-key was like, this was the nail in the coffin to my relationship. Like this egg situation. Well. Well, let me tell you, the next day would be a horrific day. Yeah. That's for sure. That 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 would be the nail in the coffin. Thirty-four eggs, not a problem. Not not even an issue. Now, I'm sixty-one. Yeah. That yeah. might be that. I'm gonna say. I'm not gonna sit there and say, "Oh, I do thirty-four. I could do hell." Uh, um, uh, your your sister, my daughter Sydney's husband Ben, he eats twelve at a sitting. Yeah, I easy. mean, he would, that would, he, he he would might destroy be this because Ben's what? He's like 29 at this point, right? So he'd be south of 30 eggs. He would yeah. annihilate this. This is truly a slow Tuesday for him. I mean, yeah, I, I, senior, I think you could do it because only because you have 24 hours. Like, we'd have I, to be waking you up in the night. There's get, no way you could you eat 61 eggs. That's 60, terrifying. 61 ah. will be tough. I, I usually eat, like, when I'm going to, after a workout, when I'm going to eat something, I'll probably throw five you know, in there, maybe scrambled or over easy or something. I could do that easily a few times. I could get to 34. 61 would be tough. And then the next couple of days would be even tougher, quite honestly. The more I think about it, too, in terms of style, because people ask how you would prepare them. She talked about omelets. I think you got to scramble them. I think you need the least yeah. amount of excess in this. You don't need them baked out at all. You don't need anything else in there. And the more I think about it, eating hard-boiled eggs, it's too much mandible action. There's too mm. much chewing here. Lot You're going to get chewing. sore. You're going to think about it yeah. too much. You need the mental side of this taken care of as much as the physical. And I think scramble allows you to almost swallow it whole 
whole like a whale. But there's yep. also yep. no rules about. I mean, you could do scrambled. You could do some hard boiled. You could. It's not like you have yeah. to choose the, Any way the you want. form of egg for the whole yeah. time. And listen, I, I understand. I understand that, but still, I think you've got to go for efficiency over mixing it up just for your own mental state here. I truly think I could do this at some point. I think I'm going to have to because she called out everyone in the subsequent video saying I got a lot yeah. of men talking and not a lot of men doing. So we're people of action, not people of words. Here. Okay, then it's confirmed. Gojo will be doing the egg challenge at some point. We'll figure out an exact uh, date yeah. and time for that, and we will um, have you just basically record yourself all day. There we go. Just not, not when any of us are. To Together, though. Yeah, we don't no. want to be present for that. We'll uh, we'll save that for a solo venture there. Let's get to that and someone who uh, also would have trouble with this at his age. Yamir Yager, 51 years old, apparently too old to eat that many eggs, but not too old to stop playing professional hockey, Jesse. Absolutely ridiculous. He's in his 36th pro season. That sounds absolutely insane. He recorded a point in his first game of the year, and it's for I don't mean I can't even I can't really say it. Cladno is the team he's with. Uh, he was playing Pardubice. Pardubice. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Long story short, he actually made his debut for this team back in the day. Now he owns it and he's literally still playing in it, which is insane. Bro, go home. Go home. Like rest, please. Dad, could you like, could you have imagined trying to lace up and do anything that competitive once you hit your fifties? I see guys when I go to these games now hitting full speed and, and hitting each other and hitting the ground and can't believe I put my body through that. When you're young, you don't even think about it. He's not that young. He's 51. I can't imagine. And he's in a physical sport, you know, of, of hitting someone and falling down. And, and he skated, what, about 13 minutes or 14 minutes in this game? Hey, listen, congrats to him. If you still love it, do your thing. But my God, that... that I, I get I get sore just watching them. Absolutely. I wonder if it's like the situation where they'd put Putin out in the ice and everyone was too afraid to actually do anything yeah, or touch him. him. So yeah. he just gets to kind of have his free run to the <laughs> net. Um, let's get to the third, though. Speaking of space in between important ideas, Jesse, Cameron Diaz made waves the other day wanting to normalize separate beds for married couples and didn't even stop there. Yeah, she actually then kept going and said, to me, I would literally, I have my house, you have yours. We have the family house in the middle. I will go and sleep in my room. You go sleep in your room. I'm fine. So wow. this is the most Hollywood thing I've ever heard. Like celebrities are so far removed from reality. They're taking marriage and turning, I don't know what they're turning it into. It's just, it blows my mind. Like how about we normalize just saying less. If you want to have a separate bedroom, a separate house from your husband, well, you don't have to tell us about it. This is what happens when you go on podcasts. This is on the Lipstick on the Rim podcast. She's been married to her husband, Benji Madden, since 2015. Podcasts have a way of making you say a little bit too much. We should know we host yeah. one. But, uh, Dad, this is one of those things where maybe, like, I want to know what the straw was. We talked about the egg challenge before. Was there, like, an egg challenge moment? Was there some sort of habit that made her decide, I really need space from what you got going on over there? But how, how about separate, just separate, just stick with the separate beds? Because, listen, most people have separate houses. I mean, give me a break. They're, they're so <laughs> lost in reality. It's, it's a joke. How about just separate beds, you know, to sleep in? Because, you know, we, we hear those, oh, I, don't, I hate, you know, when my husband or my wife tries to cuddle at night. Just I want to sleep. I want separate spots. To which I'd say if you're going to have separate beds that you each sleep in, don't you need a third bed? 
Yeah, well, she said that. She you know said, what I'm saying? Just the sex bed? They would have separate, yeah. yeah, she said they would have separate bedrooms and then a, a bed that was for, she referred to it as relations. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. If you're referring wow. to it as relations, I yeah, probably imagine right there's there. not a lot of those not relations, lot of relations going, on. going on. Cameron, it's sex. Yeah. It's sex. Go ahead and say the word. A sex bed and then two sleep beds. Yeah. Okay? This shows say it, you this, coward. This shows you where I'm yes. at in my life. When I go on the road and I get a hotel room, I always try and get one with two queens so I can have a snack bed. I call it my oh. road game bed in the room. I put all my luggage on there and then I go so eat true. snacks it's on that bed. so <laughs> true. You can eat your, your room service in there. It's amazing. Snack bed. Greater than sex bed. If you agree, download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five star rating. Happy holidays, happy new year. Look out for the Christmas special. We love you. Talk to you soon.